Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. Now I want to slow down here a little bit and, uh, and hammer on this to make sure we get the point because I don't want any of us walking away with the wrong idea and we come to the second truth point of the message. This is all about the baptism that John is talking about and performing. Please understand that being dunked in the water did not change their standing before God. Those who responded, being dunked in the water did not change their standing before God. The water dunking was simply the symbol. It wasn't the means of one's trusting in the righteousness of God and his Messiah to save them. And it remains the same today, that water baptism does not save us from our sins. You can be baptized and baptized and baptized and baptized again and again and again, and baptism will not save you from your sin. It will not change your life. What will change lives is our faith-based obedient response to God. And baptism then becomes our faith-based obedient testimony. That we have in fact repented of sin and embraced Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Faith-based repentance, as it has always been, remains the pivot point that moves one from the curse of condemnation to the freedom of God's loving acceptance. It's not baptism. Baptism is important. Baptism is commanded. It's our first step of faith, our first, our, our first step of obedient faith after we become a believer. But repentance, a turning from self and sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him and what he has provided for us through his cross and his resurrection, that is the pivot point. Just as baptism is not the pivot point, let me, let me dive into this chilly water for a second. And, and remind us that reciting a prayer is not the pivot point either. Just as you can be baptized a hundred times and still be lost in your sins, you can recite what has become known as the sinner's prayer a hundred times and still be lost in your sins. Because just because you repeat a prayer that somebody else puts before you in no way means that in your heart you have actually turned. It is the faith choice of turning to Jesus and putting your trust in him that brings redemption. The prayer may be a symbol of that turning. It may be an expression of that turning. Baptism is certainly meant to be that outward testimony that you have in fact turned. But faith based repentance is the message that John starts with. It's the message Jesus carries on. It's the message the apostles carry on. It's the message the Bible continues to communicate. It is the pivot point of redemption. That brings us then to verses 7 through 9. And we find in verses 7 through 9 that not everyone who came to the wilderness was there to repent. Some were and some were there for other reasons. Some went there and went through the baptism. But their baptism 
was not valid because, in fact, they had only offered superficial repentance. And because of this fact that not everyone who came out to hear the message and not everyone who seemed to respond to the message was a a, a legitimate response, because of this reason, John offers a couple of uncompromising warnings to the people. And I want us to see that. First, he offers this warning to those who did not see the need to repent because they thought that their heritage is what brought them into good standing with God. You see, they were of the bloodline of Abraham. They were really Jews. Therefore, they were God's people. And John warns them, as I would warn us today, that heritage has no part in a right standing with God. Just because you're Abraham's son means nothing. To put it in a, in a modern context, it's like saying Billy Graham is my father or Billy Graham is my grandfather. Well, being Billy Graham's son may put you closer to the gospel, but it doesn't apply the gospel. Each person, each person must deal with the issue of Jesus personally. There's no past because someone in your family line knew God. The call on each of us is to know Christ ourselves. And so John offers this warning. Don't say to yourselves, because we have Abraham as our father, everything's good. No, many of the sons and daughters of Abraham will never find themselves right with God because they were trusting in their heritage, not in the Savior. He offers another warning to those whose profession may have been superficial. He brings this warning that profession itself does not, is not the deal. Where true profession exists, transformation follows. I want to take you to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And in verse 14, James writes this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Great question. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? I would ask that question. What good is that? Hey, back when it was 45 degrees below zero, what good would it have been to give somebody a spiritual platitude to be warmed and be filled? Do you think it would help them a bit? He goes on to say, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Mark down this truth point. Good works will never, ever, ever, never generate saving faith. Never. You cannot work good enough, hard enough. You can't transform your own personal life enough to merit God's good favor. You can't. Good works won't cut it. But understand that saving faith will always generate good works. Because saving faith changes the life. It changes the perspective. It changes the mindset. It sets the feet and the hands toward things of God and toward the love and the generosity of God. And so while good works will never merit God's forgiveness in my life, the grace of God that comes through faith will always generate good works 
coming out of my life. How do I know that? We go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we, speaking of the redeemed ones, are his, that is God's workmanship, created in Christ. Read it with me. For what reason? For? For good works, which God prepared beforehand, meaning that he prepared those for us even before he created the world. That what? Say it. That we should walk in them. You know, John made it extremely clear that God's expectation was that true repentance would result in a transforming life. And if there is no transformation taking place, if it's just absent, it's not there, then one should expect judgment and not grace. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 3. What vivid imagery he puts down here. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let me warn you, he's not saying there, be a good boy, be a good girl, produce good works, or you're going to die and go to hell. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that those who've put their faith and trust in Jesus will show the evidence of that faith coming alive in a changed life, a changing life life. So transformation is is what John is talking about as we finish out today's focus with verses 10 through 14. As he preached repentance, many came to him asking what they should do. Now as we come to this portion, it's really important we catch this because if we don't, we'll misinterpret what's being said. The question being asked of John, they're not coming to John saying at this point, John, what should we do to be saved from the wrath of God? What they're saying is, John, what should we, how should we be living in the face of our repentance? In other words, what does a repenting life look like? What does a turning life look like? Give us some instruction about that. And there are three types of people that are mentioned here. First, this is what we would call, I guess, the everyday guy, the crowds, the, the, the normal men and women who were there. The ones who were just struggling to find their way through life to provide for themselves. The ladies who may have thought that accumulation of things was a mark of having it made. You know, just the ordinary people. What does repentance look like? And John's message to them was this. Don't worship possessions. Don't look to the things of this world to make your life full. In other words, be open with the resources that God has entrusted to you. This is what repentance in this context looks like. When you see others in legitimate need, don't hoard what you have for yourself, but be like the father who shares his good things with others. Luke tells us that tax collectors came by. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in Israel because they sold out to the Roman government. And not only that, they were uh, taking more than the government asked for in taxes and John tells them this here's what repentance looks like for you Mr. Tax Collector it looks like this keep doing your job because it's not wrong for the government to demand taxes as much as we hate to pay them it's not wrong for them to demand taxes and it's not wrong for them to hire someone to collect those taxes but to take more than what the government requires so that you can pad your own pockets and make yourself rich That is not in keeping with the righteousness of faith. So, if you've been accustomed to cheating others 
out of what is rightfully theirs. Repentance is found in taking what is only required. And then he mentions, thirdly, soldiers. These most likely would have been Gentiles of the Roman garrisons. Soldiers who were prone to use their might and position to take advantage of those who could not fight against them. Ways in which their repentance could be lived out were numbered three here. Don't use your might to take money from defenseless people. In other words, stop extorting. Don't accuse people who haven't done anything wrong with wrongdoing. Stop lying. and Be content with your wages. Trust God to be your provider instead of using your position to take from others what you see they have that you want. In other words, stop coveting and be thankful for what you have. John's task was to prepare the people for the Messiah, to introduce the Messiah to the people. Next week, we'll talk about John introducing the Messiah to the people, but today it was all about John preparing the people. And since the Messiah's message would be one of repentance in light of the arrival of the kingdom of God, John began laying the foundation by challenging the people's comfort with the status quo, calling them to the walk of faith, the walk the Messiah would require. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.